You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. As I get started here, I'm actually going to invite Tim to come help me out. Tim's going to come read a scripture for us that uh, is going to open this off. So welcome Tim as well. You know, I'm actually just going to say one thing before Tim reads. So today he's going to read a scripture to us that's dear to my heart regarding Christmas, dear to my heart regarding the gospel. Uh, and I'm not going to necessarily unpack it verse by verse like some weeks, but I still have a high value for us just to read scripture in this church. And so I want you to like, you know, Paul instructed Timothy to carry on this public reading of Scripture. And so as he reads these 14 verses to us, I just want you to like open your heart to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through it. Because this is God's Word. This is Scripture. It's extremely dear to us. And with that, Tim, take it away. Just before I share the Word, um, something that happened to me in worship. Uh, I don't necessarily understand visions very well how they work, but I'm pretty sure that was just one. As I was worshiping, um, just a quick history, uh, two and a half years ago, my son passed away from a heroin uh, overdose. And my wife and I have been going through the grieving process for the last few years. This morning, it's like I suddenly stepped into heaven. Everything was white. My boy was right beside me, and he was singing and praising harder and louder than I ever have. Jesus got my boy. Right before the end, he got in there and got him saved. And a word of encouragement to parents that are struggling with kids that have drifted, he's got him too. He'll bring him home. He brought my boy home in circumstances that just were unbelievable. He'll do the same for yours. Okay, settle me, Father. Now into the really good stuff. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, I love the word yet. To all who did receive him, 
to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Thanks, Tim. Sometimes those little uh, sound system bugs are weird, but that one seemed like an exclamation point to me. It's like, full of grace and truth. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're facing a problem, something difficult to solve, and somebody comes along and makes it really simple and plain? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever have a moment like that? Now, I know right now the internet is full of all these like life hacks and little videos that you can see of where, oh, just do it like this. And some of them are great. Some of them are pretty ridiculous. And, uh, and I had one recently come into my life that was great. Telsey came across a pineapple cutter. Now, I, anybody like pineapple? I'm a huge fan of pineapple. If pineapple is, like, in the grocery store for $5 or less, I'm buying one. It's, like, it's, it's just happening. And um, she bought me this pineapple cutter. I don't know about you, but for me, it's this tedious process of, like, getting the peel off and making sure to get all those little spiky parts out but not waste any of the, you know, the flesh. And, uh, and, and she got me this one that is literally just this circular handheld, and you just push through. You just cut the bottom and the top off. You push through. Bam. Done. It's like takes this long, tedious process, cuts it down to like 30 seconds. It's, it's amazing. So anyways, I know it feels weird to talk about that following such a profound reading of Scripture, but it, but it, but it serves a purpose, okay? Because the big idea today is that... Um, is essentially that God took a really big idea and made it simple and practical. The main point is that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, he made the lofty and the profound simple and relatable. So this is about. And to me, this passage that we just read, I mean, I get goosebumps listening to Tim read it because this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is, I believe, one of the most influential, profound things ever penned in human history. This idea that is here. So I want us to look into the big idea first, and then we'll come into the simple and the practical. But what we see right near the end is this statement, the word became flesh, okay? Now, what does that mean? We sit there and we hear that, and it's like, what is that? What? It essentially means God became human, okay? But it's really on purpose that the, the writer, the author John, says the word. Because what that is in the Greek is this word logos. The logos became flesh, and that was a very on-purpose choice to use that word. Because you see, in that day, among the broader culture in the Greek world, the word logos had a very special place. It was speaking of the wisdom 
and the power that essentially created the universe. In other words, the Greeks at that time, they believed in lots of different gods, right? They believed in all these, these deities, but they believed that there was the logos that was above all that, that was the ultimate. The logos was, the, like I said, the power and the wisdom that brought order out of chaos. Instead of the world being this chaotic place, it was an ordered place because of the logos. There was a wisdom that they believed brought all things together and held all things together. And in that day, there was great reasoning and debate amongst philosophers and intellects and the culture about what that logos was, about how it functioned, about how it operated, right? And what was that ultimate reason, that ultimate wisdom, that ultimate good? And what John is saying is that logos... That ultimate good, that ultimate wisdom became flesh and dwelt among us. I, he's like, John's like, I knew him. Let me tell you about him. And in case anybody's wondering still, it's Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, okay? We talk about Jesus a lot here. But this is a staggering idea that a human life can embody the ultimate good of the universe, the ultimate wisdom, that it can actually be expressed through a human life. That's a staggering idea. And one life did. One life perfectly embodied it. Now, when I sit under that staggering idea, it can do two things. It can crush me or it can inspire me. And I hope you'll join me today in like we sang, oh, come, let us adore him. Let's adore him. Let's be inspired by him. Be changed as we look upon him. But I find it so remarkable that God's best plan, when he thought to himself, I am going to show the world who I am and what I'm like, he came as one of us. He didn't come as some visible spirit that floated around the world. He didn't come as some intergalactic traveler of a totally like different makeup, right? He came as one of us and dwelt among us. And Romans 1 and Psalm 19, they tell us that God actually speaks to us through creation, through nature, right? But when God wanted to make things explicitly clear, he didn't just write a letter describing how mountains and seas and rivers and forests and galaxies work. He came as a human. The most clear way for him to make himself known was through this human life, Jesus of Nazareth. The same spirit that dwelt in him can dwell in you. The same spirit can animate your life. There is glory in you to be shared with the world. There is goodness in you to be shared with the world. And he wants to fill us and lead us with that same spirit. 
know, Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that, that there is this glorious treasure hidden in earthen vessels. Guess what the earthen vessel is? You. You are the earthen vessel that God wants to have glory show up through. He's placed it in you. See, God was on a mission when he came as Jesus. He was on a mission to show the world his goodness, just how good he really is. God's still on that mission. He's still on that mission. And he's on that mission through his people. He's in the business of making missionaries. If you don't know this yet, I'll just let you know, if you're a Jesus follower, your job description is missionary. This is who you are. And the mission is to display his goodness and his love and his kindness and his mercy and his grace and his wisdom and his power and on and on it goes. That the logos would be made flesh in you. But it's important to recognize that, that when the logos became flesh, when Jesus walked the earth, listen to these verses that were read to us. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And I found myself this last couple of weeks really reminded of this verse. It's in Luke 2.7 where it talks about there was no room for him anywhere. That's why he's born in a manger. That's why he's placed in a manger. There was no room for the Logos when it became flesh and dwelt among us. There was no room for him. He wasn't recognized. He wasn't received by many. He came in this very unexpected pattern. He came as a baby. He came to a poor family. He came under the radar and unnoticed. He came and he was rejected and he was betrayed and he was ultimately murdered. The Logos, the greatest good, the great wisdom and power that created the universe became one of us and was unrecognized, unreceived, under the radar. But it's this profound idea that the, the high and lofty God, the high and lifted up one, came as the son of a lowly and humble family. What's the point? I think that God was really explicitly seeking to make a point to humanity through the way that he chose to show up, through the type of family he decided to be placed in, and on and on, all those things we just highlighted. And the point was, is that ultimate goodness and ultimate wisdom does not necessarily lead to the things that you thought it might. It doesn't show up necessarily the way that you think. It doesn't necessarily automatically equate to wealth. It doesn't necessarily equate to popularity and power or influence, at least in the way that we would expect it to. So how did ultimate good and wisdom manifest as ultimate love? The great power, the great wisdom, the ultimate goodness that created the universe showed up as ultimate love. 
Not a conquering warlord. Not a tech guru. Not a rich and powerful CEO. But he definitely showed up as love. So different that he wasn't recognized or received. So different from what was expected. Now the really amazing, profound thing when you think about this, right? Logos becomes flesh and dwells among us. Like there's this statement in this from John saying, he was here. He was among us. We walked with him. We talked with him. And yet many didn't recognize. Many didn't receive. But what's profound is it's saying this ultimate good and this ultimate wisdom became relatable. Became one that we could actually connect with. Right? John, also writer of this, in his first letter later on in the New Testament, opens up saying that we have seen him. We have touched him. We heard him with our own ears. There's this, there's this constant emphasis like he was in the flesh. He wasn't just this mystical, floating around, vapor, ghost, whatever. He was a human being. He actually stresses later on in that same letter that if, if you don't say that Jesus came in the flesh, you're not really of us. It's this critical thing that he stresses again and again. And I want to ask you the question, what was one of the hallmarks of the life and ministry of this word made flesh that dwelt among us? He would, he would I'll just tell you, okay? I'm just going to, there's lots of things. I just like to ask questions because it, help, it helps everybody go, well, what is it? What's he going to say here? Whatever. It's really simple, the answer that I'm going to share. He sat at tables and ate meals with people. If that's not simple, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it gets much more simple than that. The high and lifted up, logos made flesh, sat and ate lunch with people, went over for dinner. Fed the hungry. He ate food with people. You know, some of his best recorded teachings in Scripture happened around tables. If you read some of these things and you just back up a verse or two, you'll see he was reclining at a table at a Pharisee's house. Or he was, he was here with these tax collectors and sinners. Or, but all these teachings are happening out of that. You know, he taught his message by who he ate with. Not, not just in words, but actually by who he ate with, there was something being communicated. Whose table he ate at, who he brought with him to the table, what he did and did not do at the table, all of it was speaking a message. And there's a lot of times where you see this, this like offense and this confrontation happening by his table etiquette and his behavior. It wasn't just the words out of his mouth. His very life was speaking. 
around the table. He instituted the practice of communion that we're going to come to in a little bit around a table. The, the great age to come promised in Scripture is described like a feast, a wedding feast around a big table. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know what was the thing that was the, 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 you know, the, the convincing evidence to the disciples? should know for sure this one, right? He, he ate with them. There's multiple times where, you know, it says when he broke bread, they were like, that's him. I know how he does that. I've seen him do that before, right? Or, or, or when he comes to the disciples and he, he essentially walks through a wall into this, you know, locked room. Well, what does he do? He sits and eats with them. That's put in the text on purpose to be like, guys, like for real, it wasn't a ghost. He was there. We saw the fish go in his mouth and, and disappear. Like it wasn't, it was real. He ate with us. So why are these tables and these meals so special? Because a table and a meal is a very common human experience. The need to eat is a common human need. And practicing it together actually brings us together. It has this power of bringing very different people together. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's a unifying bridge building. I'm getting lots of nods. Yes. I've heard people say they should put a table right in the middle of the House of Commons. And that these guys should just have to sit and eat together while they talk about politics. I think it's a great idea. Uh, you know, it might change the tone a little bit. See, sometimes I feel like we have a tendency, I know I do, anybody who knows me will be like, oh yeah, you have a tendency to do this, uh, overcomplicate things, you know, like, like make something that could be really simple really complex, and they're like, no. and, and then we just have a tendency to do that, a lot of us do. So we overcomplicate the idea of mission. Well, let's simplify it, table. We overcomplicate theology. Let's simplify it. God is good. And, and so there is this like really simple thing that he shows us, he teaches us, he puts on offer when he shows us how to do ministry and do mission around tables. It's really simple. I said, you know, tables offer a place for different types of people to connect, Right? I found myself reminded of a recent experience. We were trying to figure out how to get the kids' videos on the TVs down in Roots. We were having issues with the TVs that were down there, not liking the external hard drive and blah, 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 blah. Well, we had a really simple solution. Just plug the computer straight into the TV. But to do so, I needed an adapter. There's an HDMI cable that comes out of that TV that doesn't go into my Mac. My Mac has a C port. Well, what, you know, I know, Casey's shaking his head. Why? Because they want you to buy the adapter. <laughs> <laughs> but that adapter, I was like, I just felt like the Lord was like, that's like a table. You've got, you've got both systems, the computer and the TV, both capable of receiving this content and displaying this content and communicating this content. But you need the adapter 
to make it work. And it's like the table does that. The table actually comes and takes people maybe with different worldviews, different viewpoints, and can actually bring us together in a way that communication might not otherwise happen. It creates a context for this transfer, for this, for this sharing. My thing I really want us to catch, guys, is that you have in your life great glory, great good, great wisdom, great power, great love to be shared with the world. And, and I'm sharing this today because I've been having this stirring sense as I've been praying for our church, like the Lord's saying, I want in this next season you guys to learn to pray together and to eat together. And I think that there's something really powerful if we can actually learn to just eat together. The prayer together thing will happen. We'll talk about that later. But to just embrace the simple act of putting out some food and inviting some people to come and eat with you. I say, watch out what could happen. Watch what might actually begin to um, have, you know, it might have been difficult out there on the street, in the middle of people's busy errands, or, or, or at work, or whatever, get around a table. Game changer. Jason talked to us last week about one of the things that's really um, come up again and again and again in his ministry at the Legislative Assembly, is that people say to him, I just get blessed to know you're here. And he, talks, he talked about it, he used the phrase ministry presence. What he was talking about was the very same thing that John 1's talking about. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was there with us. You might be an embodiment of that word to go dwell among some others who really need it. And there's a simple, simple ways that we can bring Jesus into that context. You know, like at the, the men's breakfast that we did this last month, we just put a scripture on a piece of paper, asked some questions like, what does this tell you about God? What does this tell you about humans? And essentially, how could I practice it better? Well, I tell you what we're doing in that moment is we're pushing Jesus to the center of the table. Jesus was the what made flesh? The word made flesh. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish and do away with the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Right? He was the fulfillment of it. He says, you want to know what the law and the prophets are talking about? Look at me. So there's this very like real sense that when we put Scripture central in the conversation, in a community moment, around the table, we're actually putting Jesus right there in the middle. It's simple, guys. The Bible. This is a profound idea in the Christian life, to, to read the Bible, read it together. So as we, as we, I'm going to start to close here, but as we do, I'm really struck with that the last few weeks. 
this verse kept just echoing in me. There was no room for him. There was no room for him. And my question would be, will we make room this Christmas season in our homes, in our hearts, maybe even at our tables for Jesus? Will there be room for him? I'd ask you, what, what might that look like to make room for Jesus? And in answering that question, I want us to consider something Jesus taught. It's in Matthew 25. And it says that in this, this final day when he sits there on his throne and the nations are gathered before him and he is, he is judging between the righteous and the unrighteous, he says essentially to the righteous, you came and you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me a drink of water when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison. And they say back to him, when did we do this, Lord? And what does he say? He says, when you did this to anyone, he says, to the least of my brothers, that's his way of saying not just to the powerful, but to the, to the, to the people at the bottom. In other words, to anyone. When you did this, for anyone, you were doing it to me. There is this beautiful lesson we learn in Jesus that he identifies so closely with all of humanity that in whatever we do to one another, we're doing to him. So I'd ask the question again, how would you make room for Jesus in your heart, in your home, at your table this year? And my, my answer, I hope it's clear as we look at Jesus' identification with people, is that if you know of somebody who might be alone on Christmas Day or might be in a space where, where they just need an extra bit of love, that you would actually invite them to the table at your house. I know people in the community who already do this, make it a practice, but I, I think it's safe to say that it should be totally reasonable to think that anybody who comes in contact with the church shouldn't have to be lonely at the table on Christmas. Let alone, not just Christmas, of course. I mean, at Christmas, what we're doing is we're turning our hearts and our affection to the ultimate good, right? The Logos made flesh. We're coming and we're adoring him as we were singing. But the fruit of that would be that our lives start to look like him. And we would make room at our tables. I want to I do something in this moment that is it's hard, it's tricky for sure. But I want to put the offer on the table. Because I don't think anybody should leave this room today without plans for Christmas. And so what I'm going to invite in right now is that if you're like, I don't know what I'm doing for Christmas, I don't know who I'm going to be with, I'm going to invite you to put your hand up, okay? And I know that's maybe intimidating, but I want to make an opportunity for it. And so if you're in here and that's you, I'm just going to give you a minute here and you can do that. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Nobody in this room is going to be lonely. What that means, though, or maybe there, maybe there is somebody, right? 
We, we're not going to assume that because a hand didn't go up, there's not somebody. So the other thing I want to do in this moment is that if you're in a place where you're like, I'd make room at my table, and don't, this isn't a like scorecard moment in the church, okay? Nothing like that. But what I do want to say is if you're ready to make room at your table, I want to actually invite you to stand because there may be somebody in the room who just needs to see that there's a, a shoulder they could tap, someone they could come talk to, okay? So if you're prepared to make room at your table, I'm going to give you 30 seconds or something to, to stand up. So the, the purpose of this moment is that if you are in this room, and when I asked you to raise your hand a minute ago was too intimidating, you've got all these people standing up saying, there's room at my table, and my encouragement to you would be to go tap on a shoulder. You guys can sit down. Whether you stood up or whether you didn't stand up, what I want to commission us as a church to do is in this next week, have your antennas up, have your radar on, and have your heart open, and your ears open, and your eyes open to anyone that the Lord might put on your heart. Maybe as we've already been talking about it, there's people who are coming to mind for you who aren't in this room, who don't come gather at this table with us on a Sunday morning, but you, you think it would be worthy of inviting to your table whether it's Christmas Eve, whether it's Christmas morning, afternoon, evening, whatever that looks like, okay? I really want to put that out there. Look for those. This is, this is the spirit of Christmas. This is the spirit of what it means to follow Jesus, is to have an open heart and an open table for the stranger, for the lonely, for the broken, for the hurting. All right? And with without preaching anymore. I want to invite you guys to come to the table this morning up here. I got a couple, there's two couples who are actually going to pull the tables out and help serve the bread. You couples can still come forward even as these ladies just jumped on it because they're so quick to help. They're so quick to help. And, and what we're going to do is as Charlotte continues to just play, um, we're asking you to stand up to walk forward, to receive the cup and the bread, and to go back to your seat, and we're going we're gonna to receive communion together this morning. So, so right now, you can stand up, you guys can start to make your way forward, and then hold on to those elements until we're all back in our seats, okay? Jesus, we thank you that you took on flesh, that you became flesh that you embodied before us and lived out the ultimate goodness. That we can look upon you, that we can adore you together. And in the process, learn what it looks like to be fully human, to be truly the selves that you've made us to be, the type of people that you're looking for in the earth. We thank you for your body that was given for us, that was broken for us, and we receive it gratefully this morning. Jesus' body given for you, take and eat.
Lord, we thank you that you gave of your life fully to the point of death. That your blood was shed for our sins. Because, Lord, there are so many ways and times in our lives that we fall short of that perfection, fall short of being the people you've called us to to be. We thank you that your blood was poured out for the total remission, total forgiveness of all of our sins. And in it, you made a covenant with us to not leave us, to not forsake us, to continue pursuing us and to continue to forgive as long as we come to you, confess our sins and and turn from them and ask of your forgiveness. We receive it gratefully this morning. Jesus' blood shed for you. Take and drink. So as we close Life Tree Church and visitors and viewers, I want to say let's let no one that's within our power, in our orbit, in our sphere, be alone this season. And we open our table to those in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, grab hugs, receive prayer if you need it. Pick up children, buy baked goods, and have a wonderful afternoon. See you at Christmas Eve service. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.